I introduce our speaker for this morning. Uh, he doesn't really need an introduction, but I'll introduce him anyways. But before we get to that, we have just a few quick announcements. Uh, you've already been welcomed and re-welcomed and stuff, so I won't welcome you again. But it's great to have you here. Uh, the first announcement, if you go to that first slide, I'm drawing a blank. There you go. Thank you. Uh, there's book clubs, three different book clubs that you can sign up for that are running through July and August. And the sign-ups are, uh, I said last week they were online, and I lied. But this week, I can say they're online. So you can sign up for them online. Um, but the, the other sign-ups are right in the lobby at the information desk. Uh, the other announcement is um, there's a, a group uh, at the Church of Ministry for uh, young adults. And it's called Terra Nova is the name of the group. And they're throwing a movie night here at the church. So they're going to invite everybody who's interested to come out for a movie and uh, popcorn and stuff. And that's going to be on Thursday night, July 16th. Um, I believe that's at 7 p.m. Yes, that's this Thursday. Uh, I think it's 7 p.m. Uh-oh. Is somebody in here to confirm that? Okay, Pastor Jude is confirming, 7 p.m. So if you're interested, uh, uh, make sure you're here, 7 p.m. for a good night of fellowship and fun movie night. And then uh, the third announcement is uh, on Friday night, the very next night, July 17th, we've been announcing it a few weeks now. Um, there's an uh, event here at the church. It's a worship night, and it's also going to be the launch of our new outreach ministry, which Pastor Jude is heading up. So he's going to reveal the name of this outreach ministry that night. It's going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of different food from different cultures. There's going to be two different worship bands and three different languages that we'll be worshiping in. So it's going to be a great night. So make sure you're here 7 o'clock on this Friday night for a great night. With that said, Pastor Mike is uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, ministering this weekend, and so we have the privilege of welcoming Frank Chan, our head elder, here to teach this morning. Am I on? Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, when you see me, it's not bad news. Uh, it's just, if it, it, it means that Pastor Mike's either on vacation, which he can really use, or he's ministering someplace else. In Atlanta, he's, in Atlanta, he's uh, teaching on emotional healing, which is all material that he worked out right here. So I like to feel like the ministry of this church is expanding and, and blessing other churches. I stand before you this morning very, very happy because, um, I'll tell you this one story. I was at a, a Bible camp all week, and I was speaking there in mornings. And uh, the last day I was speaking, the buckle on this belt just broke right off. And so I was all nervous thinking, I'm going to go up there and preach and my pants are going to fall down. I can get through a lot of other distractions, but that's a tough one. So I went to one guy who was at the camp. He was just kind of this guy that helps out in all different things. His name is Sparky. So I grabbed the belt and I give it to Sparky and I say, hey, Sparky, can you fix this? And he said, sure, this is, we have a shop on, on the site and I'll fix that for you. And before he left, he actually unbuckled his belt and handed it to me. And uh, he said, you can use this. And I've never had a man take the belt off of his pants for me before. There's this phrase, take the shirt off my back and give it to you. He took the belt right off his pants. And I was very touched. There's two guys standing here holding up their pants like this. It's a very touching moment. So I wore his belt for about 20 minutes, and he came back and fixed my belt. So I can preach now because of what Sparky did for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
We're continuing our series on being happy, and we're going to talk about Psalm 16. This is the last in a series of talks on happiness from the Psalms, and the title for today is Happy Boundary Lines. That's a nice looking picture, isn't it? Reminds me of Cape Cod. Kind of wish I was there right now. Let me talk about boundary lines, okay? You see that fence, and right at the moment we say, oh, that looks nice. But generally speaking, boundary lines are not happy things. They are restrictions on your life. A boundary line says you can come up to this point, but no further. Like I said, I was at this Bible camp this week. Prayed for a lot of people. One woman I prayed for had such bad arthritis. She was a worship team person, and she said, I wanted to play for the worship team and worship, and I can't because my hands are hurting so badly. So we prayed for healing, but I just want to say that that's a boundary to her. Okay, the health of her hands is a boundary. She can only go so far. I prayed with this other fellow who was in the process of negotiating the terms of his divorce after 26 years of marriage. And... Um, I tried to get a sense for how things were, I mean, how he felt about it. And he said, I even asked him, you know, does your wife want this? And he says, to be honest, I don't really know my wife. We don't, we don't hardly talk or even look at each other. That's another boundary. I mean, like, we all kind of go into marriage thinking this would be a happy place in our lives, but it turns out that there's a limit to his happiness. There's a boundary in front of him. So boundaries tend to be unhappy things. We live in a country that, that exalts liberty and freedom. And freedom and liberty are good things. Uh, but they don't always bring happiness. When I was in Western Civilization class, I learned about a philosopher named Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who famously said, man is born free, but wherever we see him, we see him in chains. And what he was saying is that freedom is an absolute good. Any restrictions that's placed upon a human being by society or otherwise is bad. I'm here to give an opposite word. Psalm 16 is about being happy. But ironically, it says the key to being happy is to have boundary lines in your life. I call them happy boundary lines. Okay, so we're going to try to come against that this day. I was watching Monday Night Football several years ago. It was a Giants-Redskins game. It was the night that Lawrence Taylor effectively ended Joe Theismann's career by breaking his leg. Joe Theismann's the quarterback for the Redskins. When I was watching the game, when I saw the play happen, I saw Lawrence Taylor tackle Joe Theismann, and I saw Joe Theismann's leg go in about 50 different directions. And I was one of 20 million Americans who went <laughs> collectively at once. Now, Rousseau would say Joe Theismann's leg was free. It can move in any direction it wanted. Right? The only problem is the leg was not free to be a leg anymore. It's only after Joe Theismann puts on a cast and the leg is restricted, there's boundaries around the leg that it's free to become what it was meant to be. The Bible says there's something similar about human beings. We were not meant to be totally free. There are boundaries that are, that are meant to give us the freedom to be whom God wants us to be, and that's our message for today. I'm going to 
go a little bit backwards. There's 11 verses in Psalm 16. I'll get to the end point first. This is Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11. The text is a little small, so I'll just read it to you. This is how it ends. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. These are all happy phrases, right? If your heart is glad, your tongue rejoices, your body rests secure, you're happy. So Psalm 16 is about being happy. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. So not even death is a boundary. Uh, The psalmist is saying, David is saying, I am so full of life, I can't imagine myself remaining in the grave. You will resurrect my body. Right? This is a transcendent happiness. It's a union and a oneness with God that transcends even this life. That's the level of happiness here. You, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is an eternal happiness. Okay? So Psalm 16 is about being really, really happy. Now, here's what I need to let everybody know. Psalm 16 is written by David, and we can kind of reconstruct a little bit of the circumstances of David's life when he is writing this psalm, and as best as we understand it in the context of David's life, his circumstances were bad. So he's extremely, extremely happy, but the happiness does not depend on things going well for him. matter of fact, things were going pretty badly for him, and he's still very, very happy. I just want to stop here for a second and see, is anybody here? You can see there, David is hiding out in caves. He's a fugitive on the run. King Saul is after him and wants to take his life. So he's living off the land. It's not a very comfortable existence. Plus, he doesn't know if today is his last day of life. Things are pretty bad. Let me pause here and just ask, does anybody here have some pretty bad circumstances in their life? My word to you is the same word that comes through Psalm 16. You can be happy. Your happiness is not dependent or contingent upon things going well. Well, why do we know that David's life was bad? Well, he says in verse 1, Keep me safe, O God. There's a specific petition for safety. Chances are there were many things around him that made him feel unsafe. There were a lot of unsafe conditions about him. We also know from the beginning of this psalm, that there's a musical term to describe the basic type of psalm it is. It's called a miktam of David. While that's an unknown musical term, we do know it's used to describe David's prayers in psalms where there's great danger. So Psalm 56 is called miktam, and the heading there says, when the Philistines had seized David in Gath. It's also the, the title in Psalm 57 when it says, David fled from Saul in a cave. So miktams are these psalms, or these prayers that are offered up when times are dangerous. Lastly, Psalm 16 is part of a recognized group of psalms, a cluster of them, from Psalm 15 to Psalm 24, all of whom um, are psalms written when David faces threats to his life. In Psalm 22, that's where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The wild beasts surround me. In Psalm 23, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So death looms large for David in these psalms, this cluster of psalms. And Psalm 16 is right there in the middle of that cluster. 
Well, why is David so happy in verses 9 through 11? The first eight verses talk about boundaries. He's happy because of boundaries. Okay, not in spite of boundaries. He's happy because of boundaries. For all you freedom lovers out there, the boundaries are good. Well, let me tell you about these boundaries. There's two. In verses 1 through 5a, he first talks about the boundary line that we set, that we draw between God and other gods. So he decides to choose God. When he chooses God, he sets a boundary about himself. and says, I will not go outside this boundary. I'm stuck with God. This is a boundary that's self-imposed, and that's the basis for David's happiness. But once you set that boundary, there's another set of boundaries that come in verses 5b to 7, the boundary lines that God has set for us. Two, sets of, two kinds of boundaries, okay? Why is he so happy? Why does he say that I will live forever? You will not abandon your, your holy one to the grave. I will live forever. I will have this transcendent happiness that transcends my circumstances because of boundaries in my life. Right? Makes you think a little bit. Let's talk about this first set of boundaries. Number one, the boundary line that we set between God and other gods. David starts off, as we said, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I am making a choice. I am choosing into you. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Verse 3, I say of the holy people who are in the land, These are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. So everyone else who chooses into God, I want to be with that crowd. Okay? I want to hang with them. Then he contrasts it with people who don't choose God, who choose outside the boundary. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. Got some two pictures here. Choosing in on one side of a boundary means choosing out of the other side. Pictures are rather small, but on the left is a picture of a married couple. Every wedding is a, is a choice. Bride chooses groom, groom chooses bride. When they make that choice, they set a boundary voluntarily about themselves. Okay, I'm going to bound myself. I'm going to set a limit to myself as to who I will be with. When you choose that boundary, you unchoose everything outside that boundary. So on the right is a picture of a singles bar where you can kind of go and shop around for a date, right? I am choosing not to shop around anymore once I choose to get married. Okay, so once I choose one side of the boundary, everything on the other side is off limits, and I'm happy to make that off limits. David says I've done the same thing with my God. There are a whole bunch of gods in the marketplace out there. I chose the Lord. You are my Lord. Okay, and he's happy to be setting this boundary about himself. He would say, best decision I've ever made. To choose the Lord's best decision I've ever made. And sometimes I like to go back and just think a little bit about what words mean to me. He's thinking in verse 4 of those who run after other gods who will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods. Now, we don't live in a society where you see a lot of people pouring out libations, but I'm a Chinese guy. It helps to be Chinese to read some of these verses. Chinese people have a lot of false gods. You come to my neighborhood in Chinatown, lots of temples, lots of statues. I know what that means to pour out libations, to pour out 
drink offerings. Every single one of my friends growing up, who grew up in kind of these traditional Buddhist households, once a year, they would tell me about this, that once a year they would always go out to the cemetery to honor the ancestors, okay? And there'd be a whole ritual associated with this ancestor worship, and one of the things they'd have to do is grab a cup and just pour it out over the grave of tea or rice wine, something they'd pour it out as an offering to the ancestors. It's ancestor worship. Now, if you listen carefully to the people who believe in ancestor worship, the ancestor gods are really just a substitute for some other god that they're really chasing after. Okay, so we need to honor the ancestors so that our business will make money. All right, so they're honoring the ancestors because their real god is money. Or we're honoring the ancestors so that our children will marry well. And if our children marry well, then people will think highly of us, we're good parents, so our reputation and standing is enhanced. Well, you're honoring the ancestors, but you're really worshiping your reputation. You're really worshiping your standing. So these false gods, or these ancestor worship gods, are really just stand-ins for something else. Now, David says, those who run after such things will suffer. And I believe that's true. Because if all you're wor- running after is money, or reputation, or notoriety, you'll only be disappointed. When, when David says, keep me safe, my God, and you I take refuge, you are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. He's really saying, when I chose my God, I chose to worship something that will love me back. And none of the people who are worshiping after these other false gods will worship something that will love them back. Money will not love you back. A reputation will not love you back. They're good things, but they will never love you back. The Lord will love you back. The Lord will love you back with an everlasting love. So you choose well when you set this boundary. One of my best friends loves the New York Rangers hockey team. He is very, very devoted to them. Spends all sorts of money on merchandise. When they're playing, he has to sit in his lucky chair. He's helping them win by sitting in his lucky chair. (laughs) He does everything he can for the New York Rangers. But I say to my friend... The Rangers are not going to love you back. <laughs> right? um, that's what the psalmist is saying. David is saying, I choose the Lord. That's the boundary I set about myself, best choice I've ever made in my life. Okay? That's why he's happy. In choosing in on having a God, I choose in on having a God who keeps me safe, by having a God who sources good things in my life, If you read on in verses 7 and 8, he counsels and instructs me, and he's always before me at my right hand. I choose out of all other gods who do not do this. So that's the first really important boundary that he sets in his life. The second boundary that he sets in his life is this. Once God is there, a loving God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, then everything else in my life is a boundary line that God sets for me. Let me just read to you this second half of verse 5, all the way down to verse 8. You, O Lord, make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now that underlined phrase in verse 6 is a key phrase. If you're ever struggling with contentment in your life, this is the phrase to say. It's an anointed phrase. The boundary, and I'll say this, we'll say this together at the end. 
The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Just say that before the Lord. And that is a liberating phrase. It means everything else in my life. The boundary lines of my health, the boundary lines of my relationships, the boundary lines of my, lines of my income. These have all fallen in pleasant places. I will praise the Lord who counsels me and at, at my right hand instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Because I set the first boundary line, saying I am tied to my God. And now that he's fixed in my life, everything else in my life I can now interpret as him setting a boundary line for me. Okay? Whoops, hold on. Let me just tell you where this phrase comes from. I have a picture of a surveyor. And if you've ever had to mark out the boundary lines of your property, someone will come out with that instrument. You'll have a buddy who will mark out the property lines. It's an image that comes from surveying. And it's a very prominent picture in the life of Israel. Because in Joshua 13 through 15, the Israelites conquered Canaan, the promised land. But there's 12 tribes, right? Who gets what land? There's this description of an allotment of land. And there are boundary lines that are set, just like here. You see the boundary lines? That's what surveyors do. They said, your property ends here. The next guy's property starts here. Can you imagine after receiving your allotment, looking at the trees on your neighbor's property, saying, hey, his trees are a lot fruitier than my trees. Or this land is a lot richer than my, my land. It'd be easy to say, the boundary marker line did not fall in a good place. I should have more of these trees. I should have more of this fertile soil. But the psalmist says in his heart, because you are a fixed place in my life, and you're the one who sets the boundary markers, wherever they land, they are pleasant to me. Okay? This is the key to happiness. It is not so much... Happiness is not so much, in Bible perspective, getting what you want or getting what you think you want. It's loving what you've already gotten. It's wanting what you already have. So here's the question that we're posing now. Do you believe the boundary lines of your life have fallen in pleasant places? This is a key lesson in the Christian life. Okay, to take stock of the boundary lines, you can see what's on the property of your neighbor but to not go through life wishing that the boundary lines were different. For David, because he has chosen this first boundary, God, the answer is always yes. David, do you believe the boundary lines of your life have fallen in pleasant places? He would say, of course. That's what he says in Psalm 16. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. He says the answer is always yes, no matter where they fall. David will always be happy. Why? Because everything that David has, including having to live off the land, including having to be on the run, including living every day of his life wondering if he's going to be killed, is a gift from God. Nothing is his by self-effort or by chance. Okay, how do you, why, is everything in your life right now because of chance, because of luck? If things are good, you are lucky. If things are not, bad, not, not good, you are unlucky. Is it because of all of your own street smarts? Why do you have everything that you have? David says, I have them because a long time ago I chose God. 
And because he's there, everything I have is his assignment. Everything is a gift. That's a very liberating thought. This thought has the potential to change everything. I have come to believe this thought about my life, that everything I have is, is from him. He loves me. He counsels me. He upholds me by his right hand. There is nothing that's good that comes apart from him. I'll tell you this little story that has helped me learn this lesson. About 30 years ago, I was in an, an accident, a near-death accident. I was a 21-year-old graduate student in Chicago. It was a rainy night, kind of the way it looks right now, here. And I was in the right lane on the Adlai-Stevenson Expressway. There was construction on my right, off on the shoulder. So there's um, construction horses and gravel all over the place. But there's an entrance ramp through the construction. So I'm driving in, the rain, in rainy conditions in the right-hand lane. Out of nowhere, a car comes onto the entrance ramp, right in, cuts right in front of me, and I'm going at a speed where I'm going to hit this car. It is clear to me that if I do nothing, I will hit this car. So I quickly, instinctively slam on the brakes and cut the wheel like this. Does anybody know what happens when you slam on the brakes and cut the wheel in rainy conditions? I know now from experience. I didn't know that when I was 21 years old. So I did this thinking that was a smart thing to do. When I did this, the car spins out of control, and I remember facing the wrong way into oncoming traffic. See these headlights there? That's what I saw on the Stevenson Expressway when I was 21 years old. Matter of fact, I'm moving towards the oncoming headlights, and the car is coming towards me. And I had this, this all happening very fast, okay? But I had this moment where I thought, this is it. Game over. And I was, I was pretty sure I was supposed to die. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that, but I remember thinking I'm either going to wake up in heaven or in a pool of my own blood. To brace myself for the impact, I mean, I couldn't do anything. The car would not respond to me. I just closed my eyes like this, hoping for the best. So I, I see the oncoming headlights, and I go, this is it, game over. And I just go like this, and before I know it, while I'm bracing myself for the impact, I hear the car skidding off to the side into the gravel area. So I hear all this gravel kicking up, okay? Now, how I ended up scooting 100 feet to the left, I'll never know. I've talked to many, many people who have been similar accidents like that, saying I should have died, but the car displaced itself magically. So to this day, I sort of take it by faith that some angel, some big muscular angel, <laughs> must have been able to move my car out of the way to a safety spot by the construction area off the Adelaide Stevenson Expressway. Now when I, when I opened my eyes, I remember thinking this, am I dead? And I remember going like this, no blood, I'm alive. And I let out the biggest victory shout you've ever heard. It went something like this, Woo! I'm alive! Felt like a million bucks. Well, eventually I had to figure out what to do. So I went outside, took a look at my car, and sure enough, there was a, a flat tire on the car. 
But when I saw the flat tire, I was still so pumped up that I was alive. I went, woo, I got a flat tire! <laughs> now, I'll tell you what went through my mind. I said, I get to change my flat tire in the rain. Because a dead man doesn't have to do that. Only live people get to do this. All right, so I said, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. I get to change my tire. I remember pulling out, I had this wrench, this lug nut wrench. The wrench was X in the shape of an X. You put it on, you go like this to take the lug nuts off. I remember going, woo, wee, wheel of fortune. You know, I was so happy to be alive, okay? Life is a gift. The fact that I was breathing was a gift, okay? Now, in that particular moment, I was carried by the joy of being alive. The boundary lines had fallen in pleasant places. Now, I, I lived with this for quite a bit. I rode this wave for quite a bit. When I got back to my dorm room, I had to write a whole bunch of checks for bills, like maybe a $50 bill. I said, woo, I get to write a $50 check. A dead man doesn't get to write checks. Only live guys get to do that. And so I began to sort of feed off of this near-death experience, okay? I am alive. I have this gift of life. Everything I have is a gift. So even unpleasant things like paying bills or changing tires in the rain is a pleasant thing. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. My dog drives me nuts. This is Coconut. He's still rather young and he has a, a habit of pooping inside the house. Okay? And it, it unnerves me when he does this. So if you came to my house, you'd see moments of insanity where I'm talking to my dog. How could you do this? You had 50 chances to go outside. Why did you go here in Nana's bathroom? And sometimes I'll try to reason with the dog. I take care of you, coconut. Don't do this to me. Why did you do this to me? And the dog's looking back at me, not understanding a word I'm saying. But I'm going crazy. Now, I can't stand that when the dog does that. However, I have found that I can go back to that accident from 30 years ago and say, I'm cleaning my dog's poop. A dead man is not supposed to clean, clean poop. But only live people get to clean poop. Right? The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You can milk a near-death story for 30 years. And that's what I have done. Now, I have to admit, there are moments where I wish I had a better dog. I do wish that he could learn to poop outside. I'm not saying that... I'm not saying that happiness does not mean you can have moments where you think, wish things were better. I do wish my dog knew how to poop outside. But I have to tell you this much. After a while of walking with the Lord, you kind of develop this idea that he's the one who's in charge of my life. He's the one who sets all the boundaries in my life. So I say to myself, this dog here, Coconut, is not perfect, but he's mine. And I, I love this dog because he's mine. He's not perfect, but he's mine. He's God's gift to me. Now, my daughter, Rebecca, picked him out, and I paid the bill. And in, a, in, a, in a human sense, I can, I can tell you the steps by which I got the dog. But ultimately, 
He is my assignment. The Lord has made my lot secure. He is a portion. You have apportioned me my cup. Okay, so the Lord assigns me my life. He assigns me the boundary lines of my life. And there's moments when I'm walking the dog. He wakes me up at 5 in the morning. I'm walking the dog at 5 in the morning. There's nobody out at 5 in the morning. But as I'm walking around, I do have these moments where I'm proud of this dog that the Lord gave me. And I almost wish people could see me walking this dog. Look at this dog. It's my dog. He's not perfect, but he's mine. Now, that's a very liberating thing, to love a dog whose poop you hate cleaning up. That's a transforming thing. It's a transcendent thing. I'd say only the Lord can change a person's heart that way. But I have to tell you, folks, if you are married to a spouse and you spend all your time wishing that you had a better spouse, maybe you can say, my spouse is not perfect, but he or she is mine. And once you begin to incline yourself to that type of thinking, the Lord assigns me the boundaries I assign myself the boundary of having him in my life. And then once that's in place, he, I now view all the boundaries and lines of my life as his assignment. Then I can receive that from him as his gift. And you will be happy. You won't be chasing after things that you want. You'll be wanting the things that you've already been given. Would you just read this one more time with me? And here's... I know it's kind of small, but, but I do want, in this moment, everyone just to sort of bring before the Lord that one boundary line in your life that really bugs you, okay? It could be health-related, it could be job-related, it could be relationship-related, but whatever it is, could you bring that and say, this is a boundary line that you've imposed upon me. And as you read this psalm, I was wondering if you could just pray it with me and speak it out as an act of faith. Even if your heart's not there, this is what the Bible, this is the pattern the Bible gives to us, and that's where you want to end up, okay? So we're going to read verses 5 to 11 together. Join with me. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor let your faithful ones see decay. You made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Is anybody unhappy this day? And Are you unhappy because of the circumstances of your life? David had very unhappy circumstances at the time he wrote Psalm 16, but he's given us the anointed phrases for happiness in the midst of bad circumstances. And the key is boundaries. Let's pray together. Lord, sometimes my kids complain if we hand them vegetables that they don't want to eat. And we are just like 
little kids sometimes. You've handed us the circumstances of our life, and we sometimes spent more time cursing you for that than blessing your name. I thank you for this word in Psalms, which teaches us how to bless your name no matter where the boundary lines fall. Lord, teach us to value every single thing as a gift. It does not come to us by chance or come to us by self-effort because we have chosen you and made you our portion. Everything we have is our portion from you. And that frees us, Lord. That frees us to be who you mean us for us to be. We don't want, we don't choose complete, absolute freedom. We choose the freedom to become who we are when we live and love the things that you have set before us. And so I pray now for anybody here who struggles with that. I remember praying for this lady with the arthritis. That's a tough, that's a tough situation. I pray for anybody here who has something like that. And I ask, Lord, that the miracle would be not at this moment in the change of circumstances, although the change of circumstances would be good. We ask now for a change of heart. Would you teach our hearts to change? We continue to pray for healing. We continue to pray for good jobs. But the important thing we need at this moment, Lord, is a heart that receives gifts from you, good gifts from you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you are dismissed. <laughs>